from Him whose mercy and grace is sufficient over all of our weaknesses, and from Him who is a truth and deliverer of mercy and grace. Come all grace, mercy, and peace to each and every one of you this 4th of July. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson from Ezekiel chapter 2 will serve as the basis for the sermon this morning. Well, today's July the 4th. Celebrate our nation's independence. Not that we need any reminders. If your neighborhoods are like mine, I've been reminded of it for at least a week now as people are shooting their bottle rockets off. But this is the day that we recognize and celebrate our independence as a nation. And we swell with pride and we salute our forefathers and our military. And as Christians, we thank God for this wonderful land that we live in, the land of the free. But let me ask you something. What do you actually know about the 4th of July? Fact check. Did you know that the Declaration of Independence wasn't actually signed on July the 4th, 1776? It was actually signed on August the 2nd of 1776. Did you know that the Declaration of Independence wasn't even drafted on July the 4th of that year? It was drafted on July the 2nd. In fact, we didn't even declare our independence to Britain on July the 4th. So what actually happened on July the 4th, 1776, that caused us all these years later to celebrate that as a day of the independence of our nation? Well, on that date, the Continental Congress approved the final wording and all the edits that they had worked on in the previous day since July the 2nd. July the 4th became the date that was included on the uh, Declaration of Independence to include in the fancy handwriting that, on that copy that was signed on August the 2nd. In short, it was a date that everybody tended to remember. And in the early days, nobody even celebrated the 4th of July as a holiday. In fact, they didn't celebrate much of anything else for that matter either because it was still too fresh. There was still a lot going on in the nation at that time. And almost 100 years later, in 1870, Congress first declared July the 4th as a national holiday. Today, July the 4th stands as a reminder, not only as a reminder of our independence as a nation, but also a message about the freedoms that our independence brought about. So there's two points that I want to make this morning of why I start with a synopsis on July the 4th. The first is that sometimes... What we think we know about something and what we actually know about something are two different things. And secondly, the message of America, while it's all about freedom, the land of opportunity, we don't always proclaim that message, do we? We don't always live it out. Sometimes we take for granted the freedoms that we have in this country. But like with any message that's proclaimed, but it all comes down to a certainty. The certainty of a calling to deliver a message and the certainty of the message itself. You know, as Christians, we can be certain that we are called as God's children to deliver God's message to all people. We have a responsibility in, in delivering God's Word, His truth. And not just a part of it, but all of it. But how certain are we in our Christian callings? How certain are we of the message that we're called to deliver, that God calls us to deliver? Well, I can only imagine how Ezekiel must have felt back in the day as God opened up the heavens and showed Ezekiel this 
well, wonderfully terrifying vision. I can only imagine uh, what he felt like when he saw that. This vision that was so mind-bending and fantastic that the end of the chapter, the first chapter of Ezekiel, he fell flat on his face. And now here we are today. God's speaking to Ezekiel and he says, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Only Ezekiel can't stand up on his own, can he? Ezekiel's still laying on the ground. But maybe Ezekiel might have wished that God had left him right there on that ground after Ezekiel finds out what God's calling him to do. Because what he tells him to do probably made his knees wobble a little bit. Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Well, this can't be good. You're sending Ezekiel where? (laughs) To who? Do you know what happens to God's prophets when they get sent out to declare His Word? (laughs) They're harmed. They're sought after. People want to demolish them because they don't like what they're hearing. Remember that old saying, don't shoot the messenger? And this is where God's sending Ezekiel. So it doesn't appear that anything has changed over the years with God's people, has it? Ezekiel knows the certainty of his call. He's going out to deliver a message to a stubborn, obstinate, hard-faced people. And he will be certain of the message he is to deliver. Because God tells him, I send you to them and you will say to them, thus says the Lord. The Lord will supply the message. Not Ezekiel. Now we have to understand something about the times that Ezekiel lives in and what he and the people, the times that they live in, of the people he's going to proclaim this message to. You see, the Babylonians had come to Jerusalem on a conquest, defeating all the meager armies of the day, and made Israel its subordinate. And then they kind of appointed a puppet king in Zedekiah. Zedekiah, though, makes things worse for Israel. Here's an example of somebody who has the wrong certainty of his own calling. One of who delivers a wrong message to his people. Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, rather than lead his people in godly ways, rather than seek the guidance and divine counsel and lean on God, continues to lead the people in evil ways. And then takes matters into his own hands as he decides that he should be rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And what's he do? He seeks the help of an Egyptian pharaoh, Pharaoh Hophra, to defeat the Babylonians. Only both he and King Hophra were going to fall flat on their faces and fail miserably as he incites anger in God and God sends off Nebuchadnezzar to, to just ransack the rest of Jerusalem. Things get so bad there that the people are starving because they have no food. The the, the city's besieged. uh, Zedekiah himself is captured, has his eyes put out, has his children killed in front of him and shackled and and chained. That's how bad it got. And these are the people that Ezekiel (laughs) is now sent to deliver a message to. All this happened because Zedekiah broke his covenant with God. Now here stands Ezekiel, called, sent by God to speak God's Word to a hard-headed people. And the language used here 
in Ezekiel about the Spirit being sent into him, sending him on his feet and being able to hear God speaking to him. All this language shows that Ezekiel can't do it apart from God. He can only do it enabled by God, sent by God, directed by God. He can't stand on his own or speak apart from God. And he certainly, he can only be certain in what God calls him to do by being filled with the Spirit. And as Ezekiel goes to speak to a rebellious people, he's to say what? And thus says the Lord, indicating then that a prophet is among them. And what does God say? And whether they, they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been amongst them. So Ezekiel is not to manufacture his own ideas or come up with his own words or ideas and thoughts to say about this message because it won't resolve anything to a long-standing people who have been rebellious with God. His calling isn't pleasant for sure, but it shows the harsh reality of what he had to deal with and what we as God's people have to deal with to whom we proclaim the message with today. God's creation has long been rebellious. We may not be priests or prophets in the sense that Ezekiel was, but we do belong to a priesthood of believers. And with that comes a responsibility to be deliverers of God's truth. But how certain are we in our callings? How certain are we of the message that God calls us to proclaim? See, there's people who will take it on the one hand to a certain degree of certainty that they are absolutely right in their callings to go and declare a message to God. But they do it in all the wrong ways. My dear wife is so often fond of saying, Raleigh, it's not your message I have a problem with, it's the delivery of the message I have a problem with. And how often do we take that stance, right? Where we go out there and we're so harsh in the reality and we think that we know the message of God that we actually obscure it and proclaim something totally different. And then on the other hand, you have people who are so afraid of their callings that they will do anything to get out of a situation in declaring God's truth. Maybe even bending his message to the point of appeasing somebody so that they hear only what they want to hear. But that's not what God calls us to do, is it? And God never told us that it was going to be easy in what we have to declare to people. And we can't stand on our own to do it. The only time we're going to be certain of the message that we're to declare and certain of our callings is when we're before the Lord, in prayer on our knees, in His Word constantly, being fed constantly by God, being in fellowship with one another, showing the true marks of the church. Otherwise, how are we even going to know the certainty of our call? And how are those that we declare the message to know that a prophet of God has been amongst them? We can't proclaim God's message aside from Him. And we're, So how does somebody know that a prophet's been amongst them? How do we know that we're certain of what we're declared? Well, it starts with humility. Ezekiel couldn't stand without God's Spirit filling him. The Apostle Paul asks God to remove the thorns from him, but ultimately God says what to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul then in turn says, well, I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Jesus didn't send the 12 out and tell them it was going to be a bed of roses either, did he? He told them not even to take those necessary items, but to take nothing with them, showing that they're going to rely on God's sufficient grace. So we can properly deliver God's message of truth only when we're humble, recognizing that we are weak apart from God. And yes, we're going to encounter rebellious people along the way, ones who will reject the message of God. God had told Ezekiel this. Paul experienced it. Christ experienced it and told the 12 we sent out what to do when they were rejected. But our strength is found in God alone. And by studying the Word of God and strengthened and enlightened by the Holy Spirit given us in our baptisms, then we are certain of the message that we proclaim. And we go forth, standing together in the truth of God and saying, thus says the Lord. And only then will people know that a prophet of God has been amongst them. Only then do we know that a prophet of God has spoken to us. And we can be certain that God's Word will always raise us up from the ground. It will always stand as truth, whether one hears it or refuses to hear it. And it will always be a message worth delivering. To God be all the glory. Amen.